Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you once again. I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of uh, Matthew, chapter 21. You'll find it on page 898 of your Q-Line. Matthew, chapter 21. If you're visiting with us or you're joining us online for the first time, we're uh, involved in a series called Windows Into God's Kingdom on a past century. Experiences of peeking through the window and seeing what we can learn of God's expectations of us. So when we can't pick up the uh, story uh, in Matthew chapter 21 at verse uh, 23, and in opening remarks I'll make some comments about the broader context. Matthew 21 beginning at verse 23, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or a human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, you're afraid of the people, for they hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Another father went to the other son and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. But John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. The tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. This is the word of the Lord. So, one of the common phrases, I think, that we often use as we engage in living from day to day is, I'm off to work, or I've got work to do. And so I want to ask you, what's anticipated when you say, I'm off to work, or I've got work to do? Well, I think that there is a sense of exchange. Your physical presence will show up at your job site, and there you are expected to engage in whatever the work requires. When I was uh, post high school, I had a gap year between high school and university. I worked for a company called Phillips Cables, which uh, took huge copper ingots and extruded them into wires and they would be twisted around into wires, and 
Often the water, the water, the cables were designed for underwater communication. They would be taken from one continent to the other, and they had to be sealed perfectly. And part of the responsibility was to watch this huge drum on which this cable would then be turned. My job was to sit on a chair and to make sure the cable was smooth on the drum. Eight hours. <laughs> I learned a new definition of board. But the reality is, is that I was expected of me, and for that, at that time, they paid me a dollar ninety-five an hour. <laughs> I thought that was a lot of money, but I could fill up my car for five bucks an hour, or five bucks for the whole to fill up the car. So I thought it was a pretty good bargain. Two and a half hours of work, roughly, for a bank of gas. Can you still do that today? <laughs> Probably not. But, but we have words, adjectives, to describe what work is like and how we respond to work. Some work, sitting like this, is boring. Some work is hard. You get a spade and you're asked to dig a fence pole hole. Did many of those too on farm. And you break out into a sweat. And if your hands are accustomed to it, you get blistered. There are difficulties attached. But there's also a great satisfaction when the pole gets into the ground and is solid and you know when you have enough of them set up and you put the wires on it that the cows will stay where they belong. It could be boring. It could be hard. It could be rewarding. There are many ways in which you can think about work. But I want to ask you this question. Is thinking work. Think now. Are you working? You're not breathing hard. I don't see any of you wiping your brow with an handkerchief. You're not sweating. You aren't putting any gloves on your hands. But are you working? We sang a working song. Is worthy. He is. We thought about ourselves. Do we have a problem? We do. We thought. We think. But is that hard work? Is it even work? I read an article about Bill Gates when he was younger, Bill Gates, as you know, is sort of the one who, who has bestowed upon us the reality of the personal computer along with many other people. When he was a teenager, he disappeared into, his base, into the basement of their home uh, in Washington. And at one point, his mother yelled down the staircase, Bill, what are you doing down there? And his response was rather sarcastic. I'm thinking. You should try it sometimes. <laughs> Was he working with it? A number of weeks ago, I shared with you one of Henry Ford's concepts of working. Working is the hardest work we can do, he said. 
which probably explains why so few people engage in it. Again, a bit happy, and we think about it. When we think about the body, about our human structure, the brain isn't very big. Where thinking takes place, it, it is about two or three percent of the whole body mass. But as far as I could determine in reading, it absorbs about 20% of the available oxygen that we breathe in. So at any time, your brain is working, and it is working hard. And so we meet Jesus on this day. And he is forcing us and his immediate audience to think. The wider context is this. It is beyond Palm Sunday. It is before Good Friday. There is some debate as to which day this exchange takes place. It could have been Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. But the reality is, is that Jesus has come in. He has been exalted as the possible king. And on Friday, he will be crucified. And he will die. Saturday is in the grave. Sunday he is resurrected. That's the broader context. And in that broader context, he also has engaged in some pretty attention-getting activity. He has cleared the temple. He has cursed the fruitless fig tree. And now he is sending the teeth of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the leaders of the people on edge. Because he is challenging people to think, to understand who they are and their role. He is challenging them to ask, do you have a problem? We do. Is there a solution? <coughs> We're not sure. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests, no priest was plural, chief priest was plural here, uh, they come to Jesus and they ask, by what authority do you do these things? Authority is an interesting concept. Authority allows a person to freely do something. But if you don't have authority, and you try to do what someone else has the authority to do, you're overstepping your bonds. I mean, we've just come through this whole COVID experience, and Bonnie Henry became a person well recognized on our television screens in British Columbia and, and indeed across the country. She had this nice thing about be calm, be kind, be safe. But she also said, you have to wear a mask stay home from school, had to do almost these other things. And when she said it, she had the authority, the freedom to say it, and to be enforced on us. Who gave her that authority? Well, the government did. And who gave the government that authority? And here's where it bites. We did. If we elected We have choice. We have responsibility. 
But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the leaders of the people, they challenged Jesus. By what authority do you do this? What freedom do you have to clear the temple, to curse the victory, to teach the people? What who gave you this authority? And Jesus acts like a rabbi. He answers a question with a question. He says, John the Baptist and his baptism, was that from him or was that from men? Tell me the answer. And if you tell me the answer, I'll tell you by what authority I do this. Well, now they have to think. Now they have to work. And so they get together. And they have a conflict. They, they talk to each other. And they debate the issue. And, and, and then and they say to each other, no, if, if, if we say from heaven, then he's going to come back and say, well, why didn't you believe him? And if you say from the earth, well, the people are going to be angry. Because they like it. Now, why did they what was so appealing about John the Baptist? Well, if you go back in the Gospel, John came and he preached a baptism of repentance. And, and people were understanding of this concept of baptism because there had been a, a 400 year period of silence between Prophet Malachi and the coming of John the Baptist. There wasn't a significantly recognizable prophet who spoke to the people of Israel. Lots of things happened, including the rise of the Maccabees and so forth, uh, but, but prophetic voice was pretty stiff. And then John shows up. But he shows up in this context where Gentiles had come and expressed some desire to join the Jewish community to become adherents to the Jewish faith and so the Jews had determined there were three things that had to happen. Number one, a profession of faith had to take place. A statement, yes, I believe in the covenant promise to Abraham. And yes, I believe that the law is given to Moses. And yes, I accept the teachings that they called scripture. So confession of faith had to happen. And if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. And you had to go through a ritual bath called baptism as a sign of your cleansing. As a sign of your transformation. And so that's what took place. But now John comes to a largely Jewish audience and says, you too need to go through this baptism of repentance because the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the fulfillment of God's promises given already to Adam and Eve and then renewed again and again through Abraham or Noah and Abraham and through David and others. This moment has arrived in history. The Messiah is going to show up and every one of you need to go through this baptism of cleansing and repentance. And they were deeply offended. 
We are children of Abraham. We were circumcised on the eighth day. We are fine. Thank you very much. Don't make us do what the Gentiles had to do. And so we're angry. And Jesus provokes that sense of anger by asking this question. This baptism from John. Was this from heaven or from man, from earth? So they come up with a very clear conclusion. We don't know. We don't. Because if they say one thing, they're gone from heaven, why you believe? But if another thing, well, then people aren't going to be happy, and that's not a politically wise thing to do. And then the greater situation is that, well, the Romans are going to be concerned about all this upheaval, and the Romans want to have stability and peace. Their strategies have been to divide and conquer. Notice that there are chief priests. They appoint more. And when, when the chief priest was initially appointed through Aaron, then the, 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 the line would go through down through Aaron. There should have been one, but yeah, if you could divide and conquer, you could have competing chief priests, then you keep things down. The Romans later would also have two emperors. One in Rome and one camp in Constantinople, and that sort of helped balance power. And so they looked and they said, well, you know, the Pharisees and the leaders of people said, we don't want to disturb things. So they said, we don't know. And, and then Jesus does something very interesting. He says, and what do you think now? See, he's not going to let them off the hook. And, and there is the reality for us too, because he's not letting us off the hook either. He wants us to think. To think about our attitude, to think about our approach, to think about our conduct, to think about our need. Do we have a problem? We do. Is he worthy? He is. He wants us to think. And so he addresses the Pharisees and the chief priests and the leaders of the people, and he says, well, there was a father. There was a father who had two sons. And he said to the first son, go and work in the vineyard. Now, this is important because the vineyard was a key element to the Israelite agricultural context. A vineyard was there to grow grapes, to produce wine, to produce revenue, to produce family income, to be able to sustain the family. Notice the father did not say to the son, go and brush the donkey. The donkey might have liked to have been brushed, but the family's stability wouldn't have depended on how nice the donkey looked. But the vineyard, that was a different thing. So, I mean, your, your, your dad can say to you, well, you know, go and work in the family business. He doesn't say to you, well, wash the car so it looks good for Sunday to go to church. See the difference? And so this older son, I'm going to just assume that it's an older son. The older son says, no, 
So what's your father today? What would your dad have done if he had told you to go work in the garden or go work in the field or go work in the family business and you had said, no. I don't know what yours, but I know what mine had done. Right? Because he didn't take defiance readily. And this was certainly defiance. It, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't give any sort of reason why the son uh, says what he does. But, you know, it's not hard to speculate. Oh, go do it yourself. It's your vineyard, it's not mine. Or go ask somebody else to do it. You've got employees. Why, why don't you why don't you get somebody else to do it? I don't know. Or, or go ask my younger brother to do it. You know, he hasn't done anything in a month, so it's his turn. You can just sort of fill in whatever defiant statement you have heard from a person over whom you have some authority. And you say, oh, maybe that's what was heard. And I'll talk about his reaction. We are told the son's reaction. He changes his mind. He has been using his senses. He has begun to think. Uh, you can have a parallel story in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the waiting father, the parable we more commonly know as the prodigal son. And, and the prodigal son goes off to a far country and he squanders everything on loose living. And then he's hungry and he's wishing he could eat the pig slop. And then it says in the scriptures, he comes to his senses. And he begins to think, yeah, at home, my father's servants get three squares a day and they have a decent dormitory to live in. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, Father, I am no worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy of that. But I will be willing to be one of your servants and then I'll get three squares a day and I'll have a place in the dormitory which is better than where I'm at now. And so he repents. He turns around and he heads home. And if you know the story, you know that the father runs to the grave. This young man thinks he changes his mind and he goes and works in the vineyard. He has repented. The father says to the second son, Yes, son, go and work in the vineyard. I'm expecting a few of you. And the son says, Sure, Dad. Glad to help you out. Wonderful that you can use my hands in the family business. Wonderful that I can contribute to the family's well-being and security and stability. And doesn't show up. And I'll tell you why, but again, we can think through probably some of the defiance of the older brother. My older brother can do it, I don't need to do it. Father serves to do it, I don't need to do it. I'll just tell them I'm going to show up and then when I'm expected to go right to the vineyard, I'll go left and I'll go down to the video shop and I'll see what's there. And as I go, I will have the most favorite posture of today's youth as they walk down the street. 
It's just striking. We just got back from Holland, and the Dutch youth do exactly what Canadian youth do. <laughs> As if, if you're connected with social media somehow, you're really alive. And he takes a left instead of the right. And Father must be wondering where he is. And I can just speculate what's family dinner time conversation. Yeah, Dad, I, I saw this interesting app and this interesting opportunity, and so I decided to explore that. I'm sorry I didn't show up in the vineyard. Maybe tomorrow will be a better day. And Jesus asks his audience, and specifically the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Sadducees and the other leaders, he says, now which one did the Father's will? And, and notice they can't say it this time, we don't know. Because the answer is obvious. It is the repentant one who does the Father's will, who comes to his senses and turns his heart and life in obedience to the kingdom. And Jesus then applies the application. And if you look at the broader context, there are a number of other parables that Jesus just keeps in a sense piling on to the Pharisees to make them understand their situation. But he says, you know, tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes, you know, those who knew from the law of Moses what they were to do, should not steal, should not commit adultery, and so forth, but, but they were defiant. They said, forget it, we're going to go our own way. And then they come to their senses, and their hearts and their lives change, and they turn, and their words and their actions have integrity. They merge. And Jesus says this, they will enter into the kingdom of God ahead of you. In here. Those, the defiant, the, the people who have stolen, the people who have acted in embarrassing ways, they will enter the kingdom of heaven before you. You, the Pharisees, the separated ones, the ones who have meticulously kept the law. And if you need to read about a biographical statement, just read Philippians chapter 3, where, where you know Paul says, you know, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I, with regard to the law, I was perfect. I, I was, and he says, and I account all these things now as rubbish for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. They must have heard that with great, great uh, chagrin because they thought that they had earned a spot. Jesus says, the others will enter before you. Recall what, how Jesus concludes uh, earlier in Matthew, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who is just sort of religiously adherent and follows all the subscriptions and says all the things properly will enter. But those 
who understand the need for a Savior. They will do. And so it is for us to think about integrity. Do our words and our lives merge together in a healthy union that really reflects the life in our hearts? Or are we just simply displaying what we think people want to see? And then know this, if God looks beyond what people look at and he looks into the human heart. So there is some urgency. We are invited to think. We are invited to work hard up here. We are invited to ask ourselves, do my words and my actions merge in an integrous whole? The Apostle Paul thought that his words and actions did. And then Jesus stops him on the way. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Jesus. And, you know, Paul knows the story about Jesus. And I find this just so very interesting because Paul was blind. For three days. But those who are with him don't, although they have seen the same flash of light. And then Ananias is told to go and pray over Paul. Ananias says, uh, uh, Lord, uh, maybe it'd be better if he stayed blind. Right? He's been, he's been causing a lot of trouble. And, and then Jesus says, Well, you know what? I want him to see how much he has to suffer. Why was he blind and the other ones weren't? I think this. He had been so accustomed to looking at other people and their behaviors, and so accustomed to judging them, that he hadn't bothered ever to think about himself. And now the blindness causes him to look inside. For three days. And then, Jesus says to Ananias, Behold, he, you fellow the word, Behold, he, don't know, praise. God, be merciful to me, sinner. God, I have and there is one who is worthy to open the scroll. And I am looking to him now. Later on, he would write to the Corinthian church, Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your hearts. Don't turn off your brain. So I'm going to invite you. In this day and in the coming day, to think. To think hard about your relationship with Jesus. To think hard about the reality of the condition of your heart. And then you might say, well, what conclusions do I need to come to? 
And, and a parishioner once said to me, Pastor Bill, I've decided that God needs fruit inspectors. People who will look to see what my life produces. And if my life produces arrogance, I'm not with him. Whether it is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control, if it is Christ-likeness, that I know that me, that my situation, as unworthy as it is, has been turned around because he who died for my place, in my place, was worthy. And he has set me free. Please spend some time thinking that I come to this prayer. Our Father and our God, thank you for simple stories. We thank you that they invite us to go deeper, to think harder, to be challenged. On this Father's Day, we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to recognize that we have a great desire to see our hearts and lives changed and turned around. And so, in a Father's love, we sent us Jesus. And then through Jesus, you also sent us your spirit. And by the power of your spirit, we can examine hearts and lives, see if our hearts have been deep, then changed, and exchanged. So hear our prayer. Help us to think. Help us not to become afraid of conclusions. Help us to live repentant lives, knowing that when we truly repent, we enter into the kingdom of love, the kingdom of our God, the kingdom of hope, the kingdom of the broad and expansive future. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.